excited that you are here. Is anybody, yours was the reality date? Anybody there? You just, that, that it just hit you. You went on one of those dates where it's just total like, okay. Anybody where you got the expectation that turned out? Okay. Hey, there's a couple of you that actually got that. Well, welcome to Southern Baptist Church. We're excited that you are here. This, um, I don't know if it's Valentine's weekend, President's Day weekend, but you know, we're glad that you are here. It's going to be a tremendous day. We're looking forward to what God has for us. I've entitled this message, Romance and Reality romance and reality. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in a pastor's scripture I've never preached from, Song of Solomon. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen or it'll be in your worship guide. If this is your first time here, we're so thankful that you are here. You are our special guest. And inside that worship guide, you will see that it's got the scripture verses there and you can follow along or you can pull out your tablet or your phone and pretend to be reading the scripture and you can play candy crush it's totally up to you nobody it's dark we can't even see you so it's all good all right so uh, we're just glad that you are here and it's going to be a great time in god's word we kicked off a new series that we're entitling he said she said and we're looking at the dynamics of marriage and um last week we had a special guest who kind of kicked it all off and that was a blessing to have him here this week it's my turn over the next several weeks we're going to be going and i can't make any promise that we'll go through Solomon, but we're going to kind of do a big uh, overview of it. We're going to kind of in-depth study it more and more. And so we're just glad that you're here. But I do want to um, add a caveat. Um, I'm not going to pull my punches in some of the scripture text. Song of Solomon, if you're familiar with the Bible, is a little bit explicit. All right. And uh, some of you may open up the Bible and say, that's in the Bible. I should be reading this more. You know, I mean, you just may see it like that. So, you know, we're going to get to some things. So um, that being said, this is kind of, um, how should I say it, uh, PG in context. Uh, I, I'm just going to kind of lay it out there, all right? We're talking about marriage, and so I'm just going to, I'm not going to pull any punches. We're just going to talk about it, and I'm going to say some things. I don't want to offend you, um, but I'm not going to not offend you. I'm sure I'm going to offend somebody here this morning, all right? So if you have children, we have uh, Ridge kids right next door. So if this is if this is that moment you're like, um, I want to talk to my children about this, you know, because I'm not going to intentionally just be unkind or, uh, uh, but I, I am just gonna I'm just gonna say some stuff and I'm just letting you know right now. So like I said, if you get upset, here's the email, Chris at SouthridgeSanJose.com. All right, he gets all the nasty emails. All right. So well, that being said, let's jump into it this morning. Song of Solomon. It's just after you hit Psalms, Proverbs, you've got Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And um, most Bible scholars agree that King Solomon did write this. And there's two ways to take uh, the book of Song of Solomon. One as in God's love relationship with Israel. And then there's the quite literal um, interpretation where you can take this is the love story between King Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Okay, and we're going to get to meet this couple. This couple is going to go through everything that your marriage goes through, okay? There's going to be the infatuation phase when you're first dating, when that person could do no wrong. Remember when, uh, uh, ladies, you would come back and you would tell your mom and dad, he's just so funny. He just cracks me up. He's just so carefree. He's so funny. And then 10 years later, why can't you be serious? You're never serious. You know, and, and can you see at one stage, fatuation, it, it, it's like, oh, this is great. But then in another season, it's not so great anymore, okay? It's, it, it changes, all right? And so we're going to look at, there's the, there's the season in their marriage. They go through an infatuation phase. We're going to see how they meet. We're going to see how they, they get to 
um, intimacy, how they build that. We're going to see how they fight. And in marriages, I, I, for the longest time, I thought there's something wrong with my marriage that my wife and I, we fight because I said everybody else that goes to church has a perfect marriage and my wife and I, we fight sometimes. And I was, I was so ashamed of it. I was like, I can't believe we fight. This is horrible. I want to, I want to go into ministry and I'm fighting with my wife. I just won't make it. And then one person said, oh man, that's normal. And I was like, what? So you guys been like holding out on me? Like this is normal. I've been feeling like I'm just like this total dysfunctional idiot of a person. They're like, oh no, we have one a week. You know, if we, if, if we don't have one, we try to make one up, you know, just keeps things lively, you know, keep things on their toes and that type of thing. So we're going to see how they handle a fight because you are going to fight. So if you're going to fight, you might as well fight fair. And we'll dive into that, and we're going to study these truths a little bit more in depth. So I'm excited about this passage. So let's jump right into it. We're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter number one. And we're going to begin verse, in reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointment, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee. This is uh, the Shulamite woman talking about Solomon, okay? Talking about how, how he smells good. And um, back then, put it in context, um, baths were rare. So when you met a dude who smelled good, that was a plus, okay? I think sometimes that could carry over to today. You want to, you single and you say, I'm ready to mingle, then, hey, uh, a smelling good is part of it, okay? So that's just, this is, it's great stuff. Isn't this good stuff? The word of God is so good. And let's keep on reading. And then she said, draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. And then the Shulamite woman says, I am black but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Now she's talking about something she's insecure about, okay? In this culture, when you worked outside, your skin would get dark. And that was a sign that you had to work out in the elements. And it was a sign that typically your family did not have wealth, did not have means. And she's revealing an insecurity to Solomon, okay? And we're going we're gonna to dive into this. And here's what she said, verse 6. Look not upon me because I am black, but because the sun had looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But mine own vineyard have I not kept. Throughout the scripture, you're going to see that she's going to liken her body, the woman's body, to a garden, to a vineyard. And we're going to see some of that played out, okay? So that's just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Verse 7, tell me, O thou whom my soul lovest, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one of that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Verse 8, if thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. And feed the kids beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. And we're going to stop there. But in the most epic pickup lines, I have compared thee. That's Solomon. He's saying, hey, hey, babe, I check you out. And <clears throat> you are like a full-grown horse. I mean, I, I, I don't know how this, this needs some, some developing, okay? But we're going to end there. And we're going to pray, all right? We're going to pray. Let's ask the Lord's help for this we jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so excited about this series. I, I'm excited about what it can teach us. I pray that you would use it to minister to our hearts. I pray that we would have strong relationships, strong marriages, strong homes. And I pray that you would do a great work. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Touch a neighbor and say, romance and reality. Romance and reality. Romance and reality. 
we want the reality to be romance. We want you to live in a state where you have a great marriage, a great sex life. And yes, I said that in church. We want that for you, okay? And one person got excited about that when I said sex life. So one of you has a good sex life. The rest of us, uh, you're jacked up, okay? So that's all I can say. But I told you, I'm, I'm going to offend you. If you're like my kid, I, I told you, all right? It's not too late to exit, okay? This is how this thing's going to roll. It's going to come at you fast, all right? So here, here's where we're at, romance and reality. And today we're seeing that a lot of people are saying, I thought I signed up for romance and this reality is whoa, this is not, this is tough, this is hard. So how do we work through this? And the question I have today is to talk about love. That's where everybody likes to start, all right? Um, anybody can fall in love. How many of you, you would say, I've been in love, I am in love, okay? All the husbands, they're, yeah, yeah, mm, I'm in love with you, you know? You know, yeah, you guys real quick, awesome. So we're talking about, you know that you're in love, you've been in love, and so everybody has this context. We understand love, but here's the thing. All it takes to fall in love is a pulse. That's all it takes. You can fall in love with anybody, anything. I can watch a pizza commercial, and I can fall in love. I'm telling you, it doesn't take much, all right? So you can, certain situations, you just fall in love, but if all it takes to fall in love is a pulse, then what does it take to stay in love? That takes a plan. It takes a plan to stay in love. You see, anybody can fall in love today. That's the easy part. It's a lot harder to stay in love. And you and I don't want to go through marriage as roommates. Some of you got married to get rid of your roommates. You don't want to turn your marriage into, uh, we live together. They share the room next door, and they share that side of the bed, and this is my side of the bed. And you've almost split the house in two. You're going through life passionless, loveless. It's just not pleasant. That's not what God has for you. And we're going to see about how do we rekindle that? How do we get that love back to where we want it to be and where it should be? And that's what we're going to study throughout this series. And we're going to deal with how do we have the passion? How do we keep this thing um, hot and fresh? And we're going to jump right into this passage and we're going to do a little bit of laying some groundwork and then we're going to kind of move on for it. Because here's what I don't like. When I would... um, Growing up in church or being in a sermon series that had to do with marriage and relationships, it was kind of like um, all the single people, well, yeah, you're like at the little kid's table, and then the married people, we're going to have like a real conversation. And I hate that. It bothered me, okay? So this isn't going to be where, all right, this is for the single people, losers. Um, You know, we're not doing that at all in this series. We're going to merge the two together, and I'm going to bring you stuff just like I'd bring the marriage stuff. I'm not going to cherry pick this passage, okay? So even if you're a teenager, you're dating, I'm going to bring stuff that you need to be taking notes, and you need to say, hey, um, not only if I'm going to be married and stay married, it takes some preparation, all right? And that's what we're going to look at first and foremost, all right? So I want you to notice something. Notice what the Shulamite woman says about Solomon in verse number two. She says, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment. Understand, when in the Bible, when they would talk about your name, they weren't talking about last names like Ermler or anything like that. What they were talking about was your character. And she said, you know what? You know what's sexy about you? Your character. That's what she's noticing. Not his muscles, not his wealth. She said, your character is what attracted me to you. And I want you to write this down in your notes if you would, okay? Preparation is better than a promise. Preparation is better than a promise. You say, what do you mean? 
everybody will make all kinds of promises. I've coached basketball and all kinds of players. They will promise you everything. Oh, coach, I'm going to win this game. Yes, I'm going to score, and I'm going to play D, and I'm going to be on the offense, and I'm going to pass, and I'm going to do this, and you still lose the game. They promise a lot, but promise doesn't win a game. Your promise that you made when you stood at the altar and said, I do till death to his part and riches and poor and health and sickness, that promise doesn't really do a whole lot today. It's all about the preparation. But what we neglect so often is the preparation. Can I say this? I've never seen an ugly wedding. I've never been to a wedding where I thought, man, that was awful. That was horrible. The food, the bride, no, none of it. None of it. It's all been awesome but I have seen an ugly marriage. I've never seen an ugly wedding, but I've seen a lot of ugly marriages. You know why? Because we put more emphasis on the wedding day than the marriage. So preparation is better than a promise. It's good to make the promise, and we're going to come back to that. I'm going to come full circle. But understand, wherever you are in this room, understand that it's not just about the promise you made. It's about the preparation that goes into it. So how do you get character? Is there something you just go down to the dollar store and buy character? No, that's earned, isn't it? That's developed, that's cultivated. You don't just get character. Here's Solomon, he worked towards this character. And here's this woman, and Solomon's gonna describe her beauty. He's gonna describe her character. And she's awesome, it's, she's a great catch. He's, he's going to the top shelf. And how does he get that? Because he decided that, hey, I'm gonna develop godly character in my own life. You see, the book of Proverbs talks about, in chapter 31, talks about this woman. Her name is uh, the virtuous woman. And I love in verse number 12 what it says about the virtuous woman. It says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And so when it talks about having the right spouse, and this goes for if you're in that phase where you're dating somebody or you're thinking about dating or marrying somebody, think first before good looks, before, hey, do they have a car? Do they have a job? You know, those are all good things. But before you get there, starting with the character, because this virtuous woman, the Bible says, did him good all the days of her life. That just doesn't mean her married life. That means back before she was doing things that would one day i'm doing this for my husband i'm keeping myself for my husband hey hands off guys this is my body it's for my husband and i'm i'm protecting my purity in my mind and so she's doing good all the days of her life now as we go through the series we may bring some stuff and i'm not going to try to be hurtful i'm just going to lay out what the bible says and i'm going to add some things to it so we're going to i may mention some things about personal purity sexual purity and i may mention some things about divorce but don't tune me out because trust me i'm more on your side than you realize all right so when i say something don't just oh he's against all divorced people no oh he's against anybody that's had sex outside of marriage no 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 no. don't tune me out all right i'm going to get to it i'm just saying that there is a um, God sets a high standard where he knows that the best relationship should be, okay? So we're going to continue on. Preparation is better than a promise. You see, here Solomon, he had this reputation. You see, but your reputation is what everyone thinks you are. He had more than that. He had character, and character is who you really are. So these two, they both common direction. She's one, she's working hard, and she's looking for the right one. But today, haven't you noticed, all the emphasis is on finding the one? I was amazed. I was watching that movie, Frozen. I don't watch it often. I watched it once with Megan. And uh, we were watching it, and one of the opening lines, she's singing this song, and in the song, she says, maybe today I'll meet the one. And then Megan, we were on, on a date for Valentine's Day, and we were walking, and all of a sudden, she's four. And she's saying, Daddy, when's my prince going to come? 
you're four years old. So I got rid of the television. I broke the frozen DVD. And I was like, it's out of here. What are you doing? You're four years old. Always thinking about your prince. And then I told her, I said, well, before your prince, you know, goes on a date with you, he has to talk to, talk to me. And she said, what are you going to tell him? And I was like, um, I'm going to tell him to behave. Well, what if you scare him off? She's having, we're in the mall, and she's having this whole conversation. You're going to chase him off. And I said, no. And she was like, please don't scare my prince away. I said, no, I'm only going to scare the bad ones. Only the good ones allowed, okay? But already we've got this mentality, and today where we're looking for the one, that one. Like they're that unicorn or the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's that mythical one. And if you don't find the one, you're screwed. And that's kind of what it seems like, doesn't it? That's what pressure. It's like, oh, I can't have the right marriage. So you're telling me one out of seven billion people and you can only find that one? That was, those are amazing odds. Like, come on. That, that's not. So God can lead and work and guide you to the one. But let me put the emphasis here. The world puts the emphasis on finding the right person. But all throughout the Bible, it puts the emphasis on being the right one, on being the right one. So you're at this stage. It's not so much who you're trying to find. It's what are you becoming? Because like attracts like. Hey, guys, you want a good girl? Be a good guy. But you say, no, 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 I'm just this. I'm just kind of like a dog. You know, I just kind of, you know, I just do what a man does. And that's just kind of how I act. And I just check girls out. And I just go, that's just how I am. How about the dog in you meet the Christ in you? And the Christ in you can't take over where the dog is. How about that? Any amens? I mean, come on. I'm, I'm preaching here. That's good, Micaiah. Keep preaching. I like it. Okay, good. Somebody likes it. All right. So um, moving on. If I have to amen myself through this message, I will. I know it's awkward. I'm going to try to break the tension up. But just understand that sometimes today we just give in to these cultural things. Where we just feel like, no, I'm just, I'm just a dude. And it's just what dudes do. We just, we're just like, dog. no, no, it shouldn't be. So, man, if you want to attract the right person, be the right person. Ladies, you want to attract the right person, be the right person. So that way you have this common direction. Can I say this? It's hard to find the right kind of people in your life. Or maybe that's what you're thinking. But can I say this? You rarely make eye contact with people driving in the opposite direction. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying when you're heading in the right direction, you just notice the right people. I remember when I bought my Nissan Altima, my 2007 Nissan Altima. I never really saw Nissan Altimas all er, everywhere. I, I just didn't even see them. I, I was like, man. And then when I bought it, I was like, I don't even see this car. I mean, who drives this car? You know, and I bought it. And then all of a sudden, everywhere I went, hey, they have a Nissan Altima. And they have a Nissan Altima. I started seeing these Nissan Altimas everywhere. And I was like, I had Nissan Altima. I didn't even think it was a popular car. And all of a sudden, I started seeing them everywhere. When you start saying, hey, I'm going to be different, act different, all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to start waking up and say, whoa, hey, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of, wow, okay, I didn't see it. And so you'll start noticing that. So they have a common direction. Notice this. They have mutual affection. Notice how, how they treat each other. And this is going to kind of help both married because here she is from the very get-go. She starts complimenting the real things about him. Okay, and I think in relationships, we it's been said that the average couple spends 37 minutes a week in face to face conversation with the average couple. Thirty seven minutes a week. You're saying out of one hundred and sixty something hours, you're only spending thirty seven minutes a week face to face, eyeball to eyeball contact. How many times have you been in a restaurant and everybody's heads are down just eating? I hate it. 
It bothers me. It bothers me that I have to be tied to my cell phone and I have to turn to the other side. And people are like, hey, it's, your phone's vibrating or something. Just leave it. You and me, I'm, I'm engaged here. So here they have this mutual affection. She compliments him and he compliments her. And then as they're complimenting one another, guess what happens? She starts to open up and she says, hey, I got some insecurities. And notice how he handles those insecurities. She says, I've got this insecurity. And then what does he say in verse number nine? He says, hey, babe, I compared you and, and, and oh, my love to a company of horses and Pharaoh's chariots. Now, here's the deal. Here's why this didn't offend her and she didn't slap him and leave him right there. Here's why, okay? Because back in that day and age, Pharaoh's horses were silky white. They were perfect without a blemish. And their horse, if the pharaoh would die, would be buried with them because the horse was considered deity. He's saying, hey, babe, you like a god. You look good. That's what he's saying. And all of a sudden, what do you think has happened to her insecurities? She's saying, oh, whoa. He loves away my insecurities. You know what today happens, though? And I see it, and it bothers me so much. Husband and wives are so sarcastic to one another. The wife drops a dish. Hey, smooth move, X-Lax. Uh, great job. <laughs> and it seems funny, but you just keep doing that. Keep getting that jab in. Go for it. Or we'll get the laugh at the other person's expense in the company. And we think, oh, they love it. They love it. It's great. This is how we bond. No, it's not. Here Solomon says, I'm going to love away your insecurity. Here she's opening up and saying, hey, you're kind of insecure. And then she's saying, oh, I, I love your skin. I love the way you look. I love that thing about you. When I first met my wife, she came up to me, and she, after we started dating, she was like, hey, I'm really insecure about my accent. She's from the Philippines. She came over, and I said, what do you mean your accent? You don't, you don't. And she's like, yeah, I just, I, I really am insecure about it. And I was like, I love it. It doesn't bother me a bit. That's the one thing that you think you're insecure about. I love it. I think it's cute. I think it's what makes you, you begin to love away your insecurities. Can I tell you this? Back in the book of Genesis, and chapter number two, and for sake of time, I won't go all the way back, but in verse number 18, the Bible says regarding Adam that it, is, that, that it was not good that he should be alone. So there's a problem right in the beginning, and guess what? God's solution to the problem, men specifically, please hear me out, God's solution to our problem was a woman. And I know at times we think, no, <laughs> I don't need her, I'm, I'm fine. No, we have a problem. And our wives are the solution to that problem. And here, this woman, she comes in, and, and, and it still blows me mind. Every time I look at Genesis, I'm kind of like, all right. It's perfect. They're in a garden. They have no needs, no kids, no clothes, and they still mess it up. How do you do that? Like, I'm amazed, okay? It, they shouldn't have, but they did, all right? So this thing just gets messed up. But how does it get messed up? And here's how everything got messed up. And this is crucial, guys. This is crucial. And if this is your first time, I'm normally not so like that, okay? So you got to come back later on after this series. And if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm sorry. But uh, uh, in chapter 3, the Bible says, and the serpent came to Eve and said, hey, I'm going to paraphrase here. Hey, take eat of this fruit because then you'll be wise as God. You see, understand, men, we don't, we don't understand. And I've had a lot of conversations with my wife is, is this, when you tell a woman what she needs to do, you're in essence saying, you're not good enough. You're saying, 
I don't like you the way you are. You need to fix this. You need to change this. So here's what, here's what God did. God said, Eve, you're a solution to a problem. And here's what Satan did. Satan said, you're not a solution to a problem. You are a problem. And ever since then, women have had this built-in insecurity. And it's up to men to love away those insecurities. It's up to us to handle those insecurities. Because I'm telling you, even as I walk through the mall, and I hate taking Megan through the mall. We just had to go to a store. Because I hate the fact that she's looking at a billboard thinking, I've got to be that airbrush supermodel to get the guy. I'm thinking, no, you don't. Can anybody else say amen there? Because we put this pressure on women to conform to this image that's just, be, it's, it's something that, it's totally uh, male egocentric. That's where that comes from. And so they've put all this pressure and just building out all these insecurities in our, in our wives and ladies, okay? So understand that it's the job of the men to love away the insecurities. Notice how well he does that, okay? In verse number 14 of chapter 1, it says, My beloved is unto me a cluster of camphor in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast done. Love's eyes, behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant, also our bed is green. And then she says in verse 17 of chapter 1, the beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, hey, Solomon, you're making me feel so secure. Our house, our foundation, our relationship, it seems so strong. It seems so healthy. She said it seems so strong. It's like, it's like cedar trees. That's what you want for a marriage. You want your wife to feel so secure where she feels like you are building so much security. I just feel so safe. And notice how safe she feels. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse number three, 3, the Bible says this, as the apple tree, or let me back up. This is a great line. She says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Okay, in verse number 1, she's talking, the Shulamite woman is talking. And she says, I'm like a lily, I'm like a rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. She's saying, I'm a flower, but I'm just like all the other flowers, okay? A lily of the valley, there were lots of lilies in the valley. There was lots of roses like that. And notice what he says. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you stand out like a rose among thorns. He's saying, all the other flowers look like thorns compared to you. He's saying, hey, babe, you're one in a million. You stand out. See how he just speaks to her insecurity? See how he keeps loving and encouraging and speaking? She'll talk about, I just feel average. And he's saying, no, you're not average. You see, husbands, if there's one thing we could do is this mutual affection constantly poured on. When our wives speak words of insecurity that possible might be labeled as insecurity, we just pour on the affection. We pour on the affirmation. They need it. And notice what she says in verse number three. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste understand she's saying i sit under his shade i feel so secure i can just sit under your shadow i just feel loved i feel secure so understand preparation is better than a promise preparation is better than a promise men let me throw this out we are to be the pastors providers and protectors to our wives that's our role the pastors providers and protectors that's what god has given us but then I want you to uh, see this. Your promise is supposed to be permanent. In chapter 2, notice if you would, verse number 11 to verse number 12, the Bible says this. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is, go- is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come. And the voice of the turtle is heard on our land. And I said the voice of a turtle. Uh, better application would be turtle dove is what he's talking about there, okay? It's the voice of a turtle. I'm like, okay, you're talking turtles. This is Narnia. What in the world, you know? It is the Bible. It needs some interpretation, okay? So uh, here's what he's talking about, though. 
He said, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. What season are they talking about? Spring. He's saying, you know what, know, you know what season we're at in our relationship? We're in springtime. The flowers are budding. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. It's beautiful out. It's wonderful. That's what he's saying about their relationship. And some of you, you're in a relationship season where your relationship is spring. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Or maybe some of you, you're in a season where it's summer and it's still fun. You're just enjoying that later season. Some of you may be a fall season in your marriage where you've got teenagers, you've got grown kids, and they're out of the house. And you're just in a season, but then some of you might be in a winter season. And the winter season is not always easy, is it? Nothing grows in the winter. Everything's just kind of dormant in the winter season. And understand that there's going to be seasons in your marriage that it's not going to be as fun as some of the other seasons. And you can fight those seasons, or you can say, wait a minute. This is the season God has us in. I made a promise, and that promise is supposed to be permanent. Because we live in a day and age where it kind of seems like, I want a new one, I just get a new one. I don't like this model, I just get a new model. And I just keep trading up, trading up, trading up, just getting something else. This one doesn't please me, doesn't make me happy anymore. I just, not a problem. Divorce lawyers are a dime a dozen. And so here, Solomon is saying, hey, I know there's going to be some tough times. They came through, and he said, hey, the winter has passed. So they had a winter season. He's saying, but now it's spring, baby. And now it's awesome. You know, though, if there's one thing the church does with single people is kind of make them feel like they're a lesser person. So if we do that to single people, we downright demonize divorced people. We downright make divorced people feel like, well, here's what we do. The very fact that we call them divorced people, how would you like to be named by one mistake? Like that's, that's it for the rest of your life. How awful is that? That one mistake. And the rest of our life, we've got to carry that around. It's kind of like doubting Thomas. He doubted one time, and like that's how we know him in the Bible. And we do that to divorce people. Understand, um, there are clauses, and we'll get there, where, where sometimes things just happen in a relationship. And I'm not just saying, well, you got married, and it just, got, and it just happened, and you messed it all up, and you're going to hell. And that's not what we're saying. And if you need a church that demonizes divorce people, I'm sorry, you're just not in it. You know, if you need that, there are tons of churches that do that. We don't, okay? We don't, we don't say, oh, you're divorced, so that limits everything you can do, okay? All you can do here is you should just, you can just tithe and show up. That's all you get to do because you're divorced. No, we're not going to do that. So if you need a tur- church that kind of downplays and kicks the divorce people, no. But I do want to encourage, and the do- divorced people in here, they'll know that, hey, when you made a promise, you do want it permanent. And we're encouraging generation. We're encouraging marriages that you want to make this thing permanent. The Bible even says, wherefore, what, uh, there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath brought together, let no man put asunder. What happens in a relationship is we start thinking me and not we. You know, when I got married, something happened. There was this transformation that took place. Not in my life, mind you, but in my bathroom, okay? You say, what do you mean in your bathroom? I had a normal bathroom. It was a normal guy's bathroom. I had toothbrush, toothpaste. I had a little bit of soap, a little bit of uh, deodorant, and I just had a few little things. And they all fit neatly in the corner. And then I got married. And then I opened the door to the bathroom. And kazam, it was like, what is all this stuff? I was like, am I in Sephora? Where am I? This is a new world. I closed the door and said, that's a place that no man should go. I mean, that's a new frontier for me. I had no idea what was going to happen. I kid you not, if you go to my house right now, I use the guest bathroom, and I have my toiletry bag. Everything I need goes in that little bag. 
When my wife and I travel, she's got a little suitcase. It's the one you store above for the airplane, and I pull it. And you're amazed that I pull it, and everybody thinks it looks normal on the outside. Inside is full of all kind of girly stuff. And I just pull it like a good husband, and I just pray to God that nobody makes me open it up at the airport. Because the stuff that might pop out will be so embarrassing. It will be horrible for my reputation. I will pack up, and I will move. But I do that as a good husband, and it's because there was a transformation that happened. Guess what happened when I got married? It's no longer me. It's now we. And I'm, I'm being silly about that, but guess what? You're now blending these two families, two different people. And if you start thinking, my space, mine, 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 and you get this, you've already sown the seeds for discord. You've already sown it. You've already made it so, hey, this is my area. If this is going to work, then you keep to your end of the agreement. And what happens is, here's what we start doing. Your marriage is a covenant, but we start treating it like a contract. And the contract is built off a mutual distrust. And that's why we have these things like prenuptial agreements. Well, if this thing ever goes south, well, if it does, I'll tell you, folks, my wife and I, we did something. And, and we're two very different cultures. I am a stubborn German person, and my wife is Filipino, and she's perfect. But, I mean, I'm stubborn. And so it's not always like it's just perfect. And so there's been times where it's like, oh. And so we've said something. We said, we said here's what we're doing. We are throwing out the word divorce in our family. We are throwing out the word separate. We are throwing that out. We are going to make a commitment. We're going to work this thing out. We're going to get help because you and I, we have to be united on this. We have to be together because we're going to come together. It's not always going to be perfect. And I'm glad somebody feels me on this. And I'm glad somebody said, yeah, it takes work. And you've got to work at it. If you're going to stay together and you're going to blend together. It can't be me. It's got to be we. And you say, it's just semantics, man. No. And I know how we do it, guys. We say, well, this is my man cave. I just need my time. and my." Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. My man cave got taken over by my kids. My other man cave got taken over by the church stuff. So I built a third man cave, and it's at Starbucks, you know, and that's kind of where. That's my man cave, all right? That's all I have left, all right? And it just keeps getting taken over. And you know what? You just say, that's it. That's fine. I've said it before. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If daddy ain't happy, nobody cares. You know, that's just how it goes, all right? So just accept it. It's just life. But you're blending the two. And marriage is a covenant, not a contract. You see, in the Old Testament, when they would make a covenant, here's what they would literally do. They would literally take a bull, and they would cut it straight down the middle, and they'd split it in half. And the two that were making the covenant would walk in between the bull. And then they would, they would I, I know, they would, they, would, they would grab each other by the upper thigh. And I know, men, we, we have a hard time shaking hands. So glad we're in a different culture. They would grab upper thigh, and they would thigh, holding thigh to thigh, and I'm not going to demonstrate it for you right now with another dude. We're just not that close. And so they, then they would, they would say, they would say, if I break my covenant with you, you can do to me what we just did to the bull. Wow. All of a sudden, I mean, it gets pretty serious at that point, doesn't it? I mean, this is, this is on. So we need to come back to marriage and say, I made a covenant with you. I made a commitment to you. I made a promise to you. And I'm going to keep that. And no matter what the season is right now, no matter what time this feels like, no matter how difficult it is, I made a promise and I'm going to keep that to you. Your marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Your marriage is a covenant and it's not always convenient. And sometimes we struggle with this. 
because we just wish everything was a little bit more convenient. It's not going to be convenient at midnight when they need to go to the doctor. It's not going to be convenient when the kids are constantly uh, calling for you at all hours. It's not always going to be convenient. And understand, if you're looking at getting engaged and looking at getting married, understand that if you're thinking life has to be always convenient, it's not always going to be. But I'll tell you what, there's, there's a joy in just, and I talked about it this morning. You say, well, how can, how can you go on? The Bible says this in Philippians. That Jesus made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and made in the likeness of men. Here's what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying that Jesus set an example that he emptied of himself, of all right, of all authority. He emptied himself. And the Bible says he became a servant. The word in the Greek is doulos. The word doulos means a slave. That's what he was. And that time a slave was nothing he was somebody else's property okay and jesus emptied himself to the point that i'll preach on this on easter that when they when they put jesus on the cross okay and everybody has the picture where the roman soldier takes that sponge and dips it in vinegar and holds it up to his mouth and i always thought well this is the human side of the roman centurions giving him something to drink and they always talk about how vinegar is helpful or medicinal but then as you actually study history the Roman soldiers, when they were in battle, and I don't mean to be gross and nasty in church, but the sponge is how they would wipe themselves after they went to the bathroom. And they'd pour vinegar over it because vinegar, you can clean and wash your mirrors with it. It's a disinfectant. It's a germ killer. And so what they, were, they did, they took the same sponge that they would wipe themselves with, and they put vinegar on it, and they said, here, Jesus, drink this. That's how they treated your, your Savior and my Savior. And the Bible says he emptied himself. He said, they can do it to me. They can. And in marriage, if it's going to work, folks, there's going to be moments when you feel like this is not fair, and it's not. You shouldn't be treated like that. That shouldn't have happened to you. But Christ said he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation. Because if marriage is to work, we're going to have to work it. It doesn't just naturally happen. We've all met that person that, and when we see emptied himself, we've, how many of you met that person that was full of themselves? They're just full of it. We all met that person. They walk away and say, that person's full of themselves. You can tell. In our marriage, I'm afraid that sometimes one of the spouses is just full of themselves. And we need to say, I, I need to empty myself. And you may be in a situation where you say, but, but, but I'm emptying myself and they're not responding. Tell them to respond. And, and that's, I can't. You do what you're supposed to do. And let them respond how they need to. Here they have this mutual affection, and maybe you need to talk through them, have a realistic conversation and say, when we're upset, when we're frustrated, we need to sit down and we need to tell each other, hey, before that happens, let's have a mutual affection. Let's not heap on the compliments and, oh, you're a failure. And my parents said they sh- I shouldn't have married you. And, man, they were right. Instead of doing that, we come back and say, you know what? I still wouldn't change anything about marrying you. I wouldn't have changed anything. I'm so glad I married you. I said last week, my wife and I went on a date, and we were talking about, it's our anniversary next week, and so we were talking about it, and I said, hey, would you, anything you would change? And I was joking around with our growth group, and I said, aside from the person you married, you can't change that, but everything else, and we were just having a good time talking about what we'd change, and we said, you know what, we wouldn't change anything. We wouldn't. Yeah, it had its ups and downs, had its moments, but it was great. Wouldn't change it. You see, we didn't understand that we've got to empty ourselves. The writer, the apostle Paul he said something very interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence. The word benevolence is duty. And then it says, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. 
the wife had not power over her own body, but the husband and all the men there said, amen. That's great, honey. Did you see that verse? That's my verse, yo. That's what we're going to memorize. We're doing the family devotions. Your body is mine. And yeah, that's great. All right. And uh, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. You know, it's not going to go go well it's a good thing it's after valentine's day i'm telling you but uh here the bible says the wife hath not power of her own body but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife there's the mutual submission as well and paul is saying hey husbands it's our duty and i know that's not a romantic term wives for us to say that you're our duty but you are and then the bible even says wives you have a duty as well and You know, just as much husbands as our wives need that verbal affirmation, wives, your husband, he needs the physical. He needs the intimacy. It's just as real of a need for him as yours is emotional. His is the physical. And I've said it like this. You've heard of a, and I'm sorry, it may offend you. You've heard of a midnight booty call. How about a midnight duty call? All right. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where I'm going to do my duty. All right. And it may be one of those things where you say, it's a duty call right now. That's what I'm doing. Okay. And that's just what it is. And like I said, if you all leave the church, it's just me next week. This is what we do, how we, how we split churches. Okay. So you can get all upset and write emails. It's fine. So you need to see it that my body is not mine. It's God's. And I'm just saying, Lord, what, what do you want? And I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold back from my spouse and then notice this and i love this okay so we've seen how this relationship has kind of blossomed i know we got to move but notice if you would verse number 15 what she says she says take us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines for our vines have tender grapes she's talking about her and she's saying hey we need to protect our relationship we need to protect this and it's worth protecting not only that she goes on to say my beloved is mine and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. And I told you she's going to liken her body to a garden. And we don't need a whole lot of uh, depth in teaching what that is, but it's in the Bible. The Bible says he feeds among the lilies, and the lilies are her body. And you say, that's in the Bible. I like the Bible. This is good. And then verse 17, it says, this is her speaking, until the day break. And the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young stag upon the mountains. And she's saying, I'm the mountain, and you be like a young stag. And she's saying, hey, what she's saying is she's saying, hey, baby, I want you all night long. And we could just amen right there, pack it up. That's good. No, we'll keep on going. But, I mean, at that point, it's just kind of like, this is Song of Solomon. I'm telling you, this is just kind of how it goes. And you say, well, how did they get to that point of the relationship? Because that's what I want. I want my spouse saying, mm, I want you all night long. That's where a relationship wants to go. That's where we want that intimacy. And that's what that Axe Spray commercials always promise you, but they never deliver. It's always the junior hire who emptied the whole bottle on himself. And it's like the repellent instead of the attractor. The commercial totally botched that one. But here it is, our spouses. You say, how can I have that? And this is what I'm going to end with. Marriage works if we'll work it. So passion needs protecting. That's what she said. She said, protect the passion. She's saying, hey, you know, there's going to be foxes that are going to try to spoil the vines. There's going to be little things, little things. Foxes are just small. They weigh maybe uh, 11 to 12 pounds, as much as 17 pounds, just small. That She said, they can get in and destroy our marriage. It's not the big things that ruin your marriage. It's the little things. You just zone out. You don't listen. You don't talk. 
They're just those little things that over time, that's what ruins it. And finally, it's the big things that officially end it. So passion needs protecting. I've noticed that there's this rule, and I, and I was listening to uh, one of the pastors talk about this, and I stole it from him. He said there's the 80-20 rule. And he was talking about the church. And he said, you know what? Most people leave churches not because the 80% they like, but because the 20% they don't like. And he said, you know, they'll go week in and week out, and all oh, the preaching's good, children's ministry's good. But then there was that one message he preached in Song of Solomon, and that just did it. One message? You mean you were getting fed from the weird word of God week after week after week? You were getting served and loved on and people helping you? And one time, 20% you left? Here's what we do in marriages. There's 80% our spouse is doing right. 80%. They're doing a lot right. And starting looking for all that they do right. But why, why relationships break up is because the 20% that that spouse is missing, all of a sudden you see that my secretary's got the 20 or that old friend that we, I used to know in high school, they got that 20. And then relationships are split. And then you go after that person. Then you come to find out that 20 they had, that's all they had. The other person had 80, and you gave up 80 for 20. And now you're screwed. It happens. And you're just like, what, what did I do? I messed this thing up. So understand, when we passion needs, protecting. You say, I'm going to protect this. Yeah, we're not perfect. Yeah, there's room for improvement. But you know what? We're going to protect what God has given us. We're going to love what God has given us. And then also, passion needs parameters. Passion needs parameters. And this is speaking to those that would look outside of the marriage covenant to satisfy needs. And what happens is, men, our wives worry about our marital infidelity. And we rarely worry about them, but the thing we need to worry about the most is their emotional infidelity. You say, what do you mean emotional infidelity? It's amazing how your wife's emotions and heart can drift away from you. You may do it physically, but they do it emotionally. And we need to protect those. We need to set the parameters on things and love our spouses. And there's so much more we're going to say in the weeks ahead. Um, romance and reality. Anyone can fall in love. Staying in love is the key. But the key to staying in love is it, does, it takes more than the pulse. It's going to take a plan. And we're going to lay out deeper and deeper plans because we're going to see as we keep going through chapter 3 and 4 and 5 of Song of Solomon, we're going to just keep diving into some stuff. And so I know this week may have been awkward, may have been a little bit weird, but it's all right. You know, it's the word of God and we're just going through it. All right, let's pray. 